this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If Sorry. I could have Googled my teachers back in the day, ooh. <laughs> oh, I mean, 100%. I would I would have been right. on some sort of FBI list at this point because I would have learned every detail. I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And, and I'm, I'm a writer, writer but... Welcome to I'm a Writer But. Today with us is Shannon McLeod, who is the author of the essay chapbook Pathetic out on Etchings Press in 2016. Her writing has appeared in Tin House, Prairie Schooner, Hobart, and Smoke Long Quarterly, among other publications. Born in Detroit, she now lives in Virginia, where, where she teaches high school English. You can find Shannon on her website at www.shannon-mcleod.com. Welcome, Shannon. Thanks for having me. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for being on. We're so excited to talk to you and to hear you read. What do you have for oh, us? Yeah. Okay. So um, I was really inspired by that when I heard that you write something new for every um, reading. Ooh. But then I didn't do that. So <laughs> I'm going to read the most recent thing I have written in terms of fiction. That still counts. Um, with, yeah, I feel like it does because I'm, you know, I'm still a little unsure about it. Um, How recent but is it? it's well yeah this is pretty embarrassing it's like a couple months oh that's <laughs> oh, no, fine that's no that's great is that? okay. we're in the middle okay. of a pandemic you're doing great I, yeah. yeah I think because I like I started the pandemic with like super um productive in terms of writing that was like my way to ignore the fact that we were in a pandemic so the <laughs> fact that I haven't written much in the last few months feels um, inadequate, but uh, yeah, this is the beginning of a story that it'll be in um, on Pithead Chapel in May. Yes, cool. awesome. So if you want to hear the rest of it or read the rest of it, that's right. Okay. I made pancakes while listening to my station, which played nothing but Grateful Dead each Saturday morning. After every other song, one DJ would say to another, "What do you think of that big old hunk of tunage?" I liked hearing them talk. Before the pandemic, these interludes were annoying. Just bring back the tunage already, I'd say, flicking the spatula like a whip. And Marshall would chime in. They're not going to answer you, Mom. It's a radio. I don't need someone to answer for me to talk. I talk to you, don't I? That was one of my usual replies, and Mar Marshall would usually smirk. Now the DJs were a good reminder of how conversations go. Ones that weren't purely life updates, but those discussions of innocuous shared experiences. 
the kind I never knew were comforting before their absence. I listened to the podcasts for the same reasons. I didn't really care what they were talking about as long as the hosts were playful with each other in a way that sounded genuine and kind. I talked to Marshall, but he was always staring at his phone or computer. When I repeated myself while waving my hand between his face and the screen, he'd get all pissy and snap back a minimal reply. I talked to my cats, Caesar and Brutus. They didn't get along. Caesar mostly lived under the couch. The workers had the weekend off, so I was getting a break from the incessant hammering as they replaced the siding on our house. One of them was stout. He wore camo pants and whistled a lot. The other one was taller and never smiled, just smoked and flicked his cigarette butts all over my lawn. They argued sometimes, but I didn't know what about because I didn't speak Spanish despite my four years of classes in high school. Early last week, the smoker stalked away from the whistler after one of their heated exchanges. He lit a cigarette in front of my kitchen window. He looked off into the sycamores that separated our yard from the neighbors. I thought he might need cheering up. So I picked up Brutus from his food bowl and held him by the window. I knocked on the glass until the smoker turned around. I grabbed Brutus's paw and moved it like he was waving. The smoker shook his head dismissively, but he smiled too. For the next few days, I'd glance out my office window to watch them. When the hammering ceased, I'd take a break from the work and go down to the kitchen. I'd grab Brutus and say hello as the smoker smoked. The smoker would wave and smile, then turn away. My heart pounded like I'd just hit on a stranger in public. I'd smile for the next few hours or until I encountered Marshall and he'd ask what was so funny. I made Marshall sit at the table with me if he wanted to eat my food. I'd given up on fighting for him to leave his phone in his room during meal times, though. I looked at him for a while, expression changing in reaction to whatever it was he scrolled through. What? he said when he caught me staring. I took a bite of pancakes. Nothing, I said with a full mouth. You're so creepy, he said. I petted his hair and looked out the window. I missed the smoker. Later that evening, I was on the phone with my mother. I wasn't really listening. Instead, I was focusing on my pelvic floor exercises. My physical therapist told me to imagine I was picking up a blueberry with my vagina. She was probably somewhere between 25 and 29. I wanted to mention something about how a 10-pound baby had passed through there, and maybe I ought to imagine a more realistic-sized fruit, but she struck me as sensitive, like me, and I didn't want to sound like I was implying that she was bad at her job. I didn't say anything about the blueberry. But as I was listening to my mother, I imagined picking up an apricot with my vagina. Oh, that's awful. I'm sorry, I said, assuming it was something about an ailment. What? Are you listening to me? Sorry. What are you doing? She could usually gasp by the background noise. My PT exercises. What for? It hurts when I sit, Mom. That's because it's all you do. I could remind her that I was working from home, so of course I sat in front of the computer all day but it wasn't worth it. What would life be like for me if I said everything I thought like she did? How's Marshall? She changed the subject. I don't know, I never see him. How can that be? He lives in your house, Eileen. The only time he ever leaves his room is to take walks. Go with him, perfect opportunity for you to get some exercise. He's a teenager, he doesn't wanna take walks with me. He doesn't wanna be seen with me. My phone made a chiming noise and a notification box popped up signaling an incoming video call from the See For Me app. I felt, th th I felt the thrill of being needed. 
I told my mom I had to go help a blind person. She laughed like I was joking and I hung up. And that's where I'll pause for now. Um, we always mute ourselves, but I was dying about Me picking too. up a blueberry with Oh my god. <laughs> Thank you. That that <laughs> we were both dying, so great, great work. Okay, thanks. Um, yeah, I definitely because like I don't have children. I, I had some friends who are writers who have teenage or had teenage children read that one to, you know, run it by them, but <laughs> I liked it. So <laughs> I'm going to incorporate that to my after ride stretches. I, go, ride yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is, that is a real one. Okay. I will admit my physical therapist told me to, <laughs> that was, that was the slice of reality in there. I feel no. like if you can do that, you're the most powerful woman in the world. <laughs> Probably. I mean, okay. So I'm gonna work on I, I've never like tried it. It's just an imaginary thing. I feel like I have to specify. <laughs> yeah, thank you for specifying. I figured. Also, you have wow. to send her the story. You have to send her the story. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She's um, going to be like, what? What's so weird about that? Yeah. What's so weird? This is great. This is nonfiction. <laughs> yeah. I will. Yeah. I'll have to like track her down once it's already on the internet and send it to her to be like, yeah, sorry. No take backs. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's an easy copy and paste, copy, paste, send. Never think of it again. <laughs> what is your submission process like? Um, I wait until I'm in like a really manic state and then I send a bunch of them. So that usually happens like, or not a bunch of them. Like usually I have like one or two stories that are ready to go at a time and I'll usually send them off. I'll, I'll usually do submissions like once a month or every other month tends to be like the timeline um but right now I have like I have nothing except for two submissions like in my submittable queue one is from 2015 and one is from 2017 so it's basically at zero which is what? new for me 2015 so the- you're still waiting yes. for a reply yeah I mean no not at this point but <laughs> who is it we have to like shame the these people who publicly said he'd call you back that is incredible oh, I'm sorry, Alex we have to shame this journal publicly. Who who is this journal? <laughs> no, we don't. Oh my god. Is it Birch? No, but every time like Birch? I see people <laughs> <laughs> It's not not. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> um but yeah, every time I see people on Twitter being like, "Oh my god, it's been 3 months. What should I do?" I just want to like send them a picture. That's when you submittable. you just got to block those people. You just got to block. Yeah, them. I will tell you the 2017 one, I checked in on it last year and I was like, "Hey, so are you like still oh thinking god. about this one?" It, it was a story that was in whimsy. So I was like, "So this is going to be in a book soon." And they were <laughs> oh like oh. They were like, "We're still thinking about it. I'm sorry." So yeah, they're oh. still considering it. That's just a two-word reply on that email. It says "get fucked." That's yes. just just for future reference. Um, oh my god! I don't, know. I don't like that. get mad at it about it well, the way other people seem to. I I just think at that point it's just such like a shocking <laughs> lack of consideration for the person who cared enough to follow your guidelines, submit the way you wanted. I just feel like at a certain point it's like, okay, enough. <laughs> but I have a lot of rage. So, you know, Alex, was it someone was telling us, or maybe someone was telling me that they didn't hear back for a year and then, and then it was published. And then the person was like, okay, we want to publish it or something like that. Yes. I was on, that was on someone who came on the show and they, they maybe even reached out to make edits, but it had already been published by the same journal or something. Yes. (laughs) 
Oh, I know. I mean, like, I guess I can sympathize with, um, with journals because they get such a, a deluge. Is that how you say that word? Right. Deluge? Yeah, you crushed it. <laughs> yeah, I say deluge and I'm not sure if that's right. Is that how you say it? how you say it how does one say it it doesn't matter yeah anyway you know you all know what i mean okay um i would also love to hear you tweeted about this the other day um and i flagged it uh about something that i thought we should talk about it it was um did you say it was a year ago today that you yeah a little over a year ago i'm just reading your tweet to you oh yeah that's okay you're gonna remind me what i said a few days ago okay A little over a year ago, I got my last MFA rejection. I was devastated. Mm. Since then, I've published my first book, signed with an agent, and I'm still making money at my day job. Wanted to share that with anyone who's dealing with MFA rejections right now. You don't need an MFA to write. Mm. Um, I think that's a common thing people worry about. And just, I would just love to hear in your own words, you know, like your, your, your journey, like how did you start writing, you know, like till now. Oh, okay. Um, Well, I started getting more serious about writing in my last year of undergrad, and I had a class with Laura Kaziski. I don't know if you guys are familiar with her writing, but she's an awesome poet, and she writes fiction, too, and she was just a great teacher, Um, and so I I started writing for myself. Like, I started working on my first novel at that time and going to, like, writer events and workshops at my local library, Mm -hmm. Um, so I was doing that for a while, and than working at a call center and that's a great job for being a writer because like you're so so bored that (laughs) all you can do is like daydream so um yeah I was just you know noodling around I wrote a couple novels and then I started teaching and was just kind of doing it when I had time and energy um and then I I think hmm, maybe like four years ago I applied to MFA programs for the first time Um, Because before that, you know, I was just focusing on on being a teacher and making money, you know, and trying to like pay off student loans and stuff. Um, And then, yeah, I applied to just a couple schools that were fully funded and that um, my husband's in academia, like where he had positions um, and yeah, got rejected. It was really devastating because at that point, I I just felt like oh, I really need an MFA. Not only do I really, really want to write and get more training and have that time and that community, um, but I also was just getting burned out on teaching. So mm-hmm. then, you know, got rejected. Um, and a few years later, I, I applied again. So I guess two years ago now, I was applying um, and, and got rejected again. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just, I, you know that so many people are applying for those programs, especially mm-hmm. the funded ones. So you oh, yeah. know it's like, a, it's a lottery pretty much. I mean, obviously talent has to do with it too, but I know so much of it has to do with like, oh, what mood were they in when they came across your manuscript and did they like what font you used or did you use the word deluge correctly or not? Or, you know, like, um, so yeah, but it was really, um, disappointing. I, you know, between the two, uh, rounds of MFA rejections too, I had like a false start with whimsy. Like I had written two novels, both of them. I was like, oh, okay, these kind of suck. Um, but then whimsy, I felt a little more passionate about and was like, okay, this could be a small press kind of thing. 
Um, and then it was supposed to come out with curbside. Um, mm-hmm. oh, God. But then that kind of fell through. So oh, God. Uh, yeah, I mean, just a lot of writerly disappointment in the last like four years or so. So then mm-hmm. this past year has been a really wonderful turn of, of events for me. So I'm just really grateful and also, yeah, want to be encouraging because right now I'm seeing a lot of people announcing their acceptances, which is really exciting, but you know, for every acceptance, there's so many more people out there who are getting rejections. Mm-hmm. I was rejected by eight schools Yeah, my first round. Um, and yeah, like, what did you, how did you pick yourself up after that? You know, like, how did you, cause in that time since, like you said, you got an agent, you know, and all these other things are happening. How did you, um, what did you tell yourself or what did you force yourself to do in order to just keep, keep going after the most recent <laughs> disappointment? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, either, um, either. Well, like shortly after that, you know, the pandemic hit, so mm-hmm. that was kind of a bigger focus, but uh, a, sor- a sort of really twisted thought that passed through my mind was like, okay, I really want an MFA because I want a break from teaching and I want time to write. And suddenly my school was shut down. You know, everybody's schools are shut down in the spring. We didn't really know how to do virtual teaching yet. So we were just assigning like an assignment a week and not really teaching. So I suddenly, after this thought, which felt kind of perverse in a way, like I really want time to write and I really want a break from teaching. Like I got it for this really messed up reason. And so, so you're the reason that we have the reason the pandemic happened. I'm so sorry, but I really needed that time to write. We thought, we thought maybe it was you. So that's why we had you just to confirm and wow. Disappointing. (laughs) That's also why those journals haven't given me rejections yet. They're scared of me. Exactly. <laughs> you know, they know what I'll do. <laughs> but yeah, so I feel like that, like, I don't know, for whatever reason that like put the wind in my sails to get really, I got really serious about this new novel that I had outlined in February of 2020. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to use this time. I'm going to write at least a thousand words a day. And I just got really intense into this novel. And I think focusing on that got me more interested in like, okay, submitting whimsy again and, um, you know, just, just getting more focused on my writing because I know that that time is precious. Mm-hmm. And when you get it, it's like, don't, don't let it go. <laughs> yeah. It just kind of reinforces how much you want it, you know, like, yeah, yeah, definitely. Where are you at with that novel now? I'm waiting for my spring break to go back to it and revise. <laughs> I've, I've gone like a, a few uh, rounds of revision. So I ended up drafting it in like three months, which mm. was wow. really rare for me. I'm not usually that fast of a writer. What are we talking? How many, how many words? Um, it is currently like 80,000 words. Oh, Excuse my me. In three months. We'll look at the sticky note. Um, yeah. Well, the first draft was, 67,000. I have my notes up here. No, that's awesome. Notes. So, I was, um, so then the second round, like I revised it over the summer and added to it. So now it's around 80,000, a little over. That's awesome. How are you feeling about it right now? What stage of, of grief are you in? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm in denial because I'm like, 
uh, scared to look at it again. You know how it is when you take mm-hmm. some time away from something. I don't know. Like, I'm curious how much time you all take away from like between drafts, but I feel like, you know, if you give yourself a decent amount of time, I like, I personally never know how I'm going to feel when I come back to something and I'm like bracing myself. Yeah. I, uh, that's that some, some of that isn't my choice (laughs) because I stop having time, Yeah, but I, um, I, I do this thing where I print it out and I, I, I keep it, oh God, I keep it by my, <laughs> in my nightstand and I, and it's in a little box and I pull it out and I like flip to any random page and whatever I read is how I feel about that. And sometimes I'm like, okay, this shit is good. And sometimes I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that though. That seems like a really interesting ritual. I haven't heard that before. The little well, box like- just killed me. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a thing I made, you know, it's like, it's like when you were a kid and you made something, you know, like, and then it was like your treasure, you know, you like glued Aww. a feather on a rock or something. And then it was like, that's how it feels to me. <laughs> it's like, it's a physical thing that I can return to and touch and, and like, yeah. you know, and, and that that means the world to me. Like when I can have like a thick stack of like, this is my book that I made. It is the best feeling. Um, so yeah. It is a totally <laughs> different feeling though. You're right. When, when you print it out and you have reached like something close to a full draft, or maybe it's, you know, after several rounds of revision or whatever, it is a totally different connection to that mm-hmm. work. And it feels, I think in some ways it's a little, it can be problematic because it feels, um, it feels published in a sense like, hmm. Oh, this is, this is the opening of this book. This is how this is going to go. I don't know. I, I have, I have fallen in love with stuff that's been printed out and struggled. I feel like more once it's kind of in that form to go back in and make the changes that are necessary sometimes. It is true. And it can, it can sort of be like, Oh yeah, there's like gatekeepers that I have to get through. <laughs> like <laughs> this isn't yeah. actually a thing in the world, but right. One thing, someone mentioned font. (laughs) I can't remember, but um, Shannon, was it you? You mentioned font. I Yeah, with MFA applications. Right. Yes. I realized, I I don't know what I was thinking, but (laughs) I sent it in Arial. And I think we've talked about this before on the pod, but I'm I'm horrified anew every time. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I I love that you both feel like... uh, like a sense of ownership and accomplishment when it's printed though. I feel like I need to change the way I look at something I finished once it's printed. Cause usually when I look at it, once it's printed, I'm like, Oh, that's how much work I have. Like oh, man. it's an oh. inch of work or two inches yeah. or whatever. I mean, I think if you <laughs> care enough, great. yeah, no, I think if you care enough to even print it out to get to that point, it feels, I think yeah. like that's like somewhere deep down, you know, it's a real thing because I can think of many projects that I have never gotten to that point and they sure as hell didn't earn paper. So mm-hmm. yeah, tons. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If you love it enough to give your toner up. Exactly. <laughs> really important. I yeah. actually, um, I send it out to be printed <laughs> because. <laughs> Ooh, do you get binding? <laughs> I don't, I do not do that. But like my printer cartridge can't hand, can't hang with that. Like we just mm. have, you know, so I don't even want to, and I, I have to print out random things for my son for school and stuff. So it's like, I'd rather yeah. save it for that. Um, is that how you got the box or is the box? That, like yes. The box. Can we hear more about the box, please? Yeah. I want to know about the box. Is it bejeweled? <laughs> you know what? You guys are giving me some good ideas here. Um, 
It's not. Like talking about a glued feather. Yeah, like, I was gonna say. What about like a rock with a feather just right on top? <laughs> um, this is this is all really good stuff, and I will get my bedazzler and my my glue mm-hmm. gun out after we're done talking. Nice. No, it's just the it's just the little like lidded box that it comes in when you get it printed at Kinkos or whatever. That's cool. That's, That's very fancy. special, and I smell I want it sometimes. One. <laughs> you can have one. You know, it's very easy. <laughs> <laughs> Shannon, how do you know when something you've written is done? Is it different every time? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Thought you were gonna give me these hard balls ahead of time. I, no, I don't know. I mean, I think, yeah, I think I don't know. It's just a feeling because mm-hmm. I I think sometimes I don't know. I used to be way more dependent upon what other people told me in terms of whether it was done or not but I'm noticing more recently I'm like you say it's not done but I think it's done right (laughs) which is maybe not the best approach but no I think um, it is or I'm like you know when you're like I can't make this better so maybe it's just ready for the world (laughs) Mm -hmm. um I mean or ready for feedback more likely but uh yeah I think just like when I feel good after I've read it it's yeah. done I think a lot of that's actually related to what we were talking about earlier Shannon with you know MFA rejections for example or they feel like an early um like proving ground to, for publishing rejections and just mm-hmm. the fact that you know whether it be a MFA committee saying no or someone passing on your book it's like it only really takes one person and it's so cliche but the stories you hear from people it's just over and over and over again it's one person advocating for your work and then a room gets excited about it or whatever and I think that if you reach the end of something and you feel excited about it you're that one person and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and that matters I mean I think that that's really really uh, a powerful thing to recognize in your own work so I think it's totally significant yeah I agree I mean that's kind of like just the feeling we're chasing right Mm -hmm. totally can you tell us a little about uh the way that whimsy is organized because it's such a striking book as you're going through I think if I handed it to most people they may think like oh is this like a story collection because of like the stark black and the way the chapter titles are set off I just I was curious about your decision making in in laying it out and and kind of if you had any inspiration from specific works or kind of what you guys were thinking yeah so I made it initially planned for it to be a novella and stories and the first stories that I wrote felt like they stood alone they stood on their own Um, and those are were the ones that ended up being published as one-off short stories Mm -hmm. Um, but as I continued writing it and I still had that vision in mind that it's a novella and stories like you know as the overall arc um, Mm -hmm. ramps up the later stories don't have the same effect on their own with all of the previous context. Um, So I think I set out to do a novella in stories, but through the process, I just got more interested in the overall arc. And um, so, you know, when I once Long Day Press had it, they were like, let's just call it a novella, (laughs) which I think was probably the the right move. because I, I do think like it, it, like it makes me sad to think 
if people would pick it up and just like read a couple random stories in the Mm -hmm. middle and Mm -hmm. didn't get to the end and didn't get the overall experience. I feel like I I would feel a little disappointed in that. Mm. So um, yeah, I I, I set out for it to be a novella and stories, but I I don't remember a particular um, linked collection that was inspiring to me. I just remember like I just finished writing two novels that weren't going to go anywhere. And I had been publishing some things here and there online at that point. And I was like, ooh, if I do a novel in stories, then I can submit those stories <laughs> and I won't feel like they're going to waste. So it was like a super shallow reason at first. <laughs> That's, That's cool. kind of how I make all my decisions. And then I just try to build <laughs> meaning into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I hadn't really thought about like the black, like I love the black pages, but it Me does too. feel like it's kind of a nod to the fact that like they kind of live on their own, even though they're better off together. Mm-hmm. I, it's so striking. Um, I think it really works. But yeah, I was just so curious. I was like, oh, I wonder where that came from or like what you guys were inspired by. Yeah, it's great. You know, it's it's funny because the more we do this pod, the more we hear that like novel or novella and stories has such a bad rap with like people who actually publish them. Whereas they're, they're like my favorite thing to read. Um, I absolutely love a novel and stories and novella and stories. Um, There's just like, it's almost like you just get these glimpses and it makes the whole thing feel more wistful or nostalgic or like desperate or yearning. (laughs) I don't know. Mm. And I personally just love them. And, and, you know, we were talking about this with Adam Price who published, um, the Hotel Never Sink, which is a novel in stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and how his agent was like, No, please have a novel in stories. And um, the only thing worse is a novella in stories. <laughs> that's right. Like, what the hell are you doing? Um, but I just I I can't get enough of them. And it's just so interesting that they have such a that they're that they're viewed as being kind of a difficult sell. Because it's like you're saying, Shannon, some people could could pick it up and just like jump around, which is so strange because it says it's a novella in story, you know, like it. Um, it's just, it's, it's very strange that, that, that it has such a bad rap in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I wonder if it's because like if, if marketers think that it'll be closer to a story collection or like not really have that narrative arc, which I mean, I enjoy like scenes, um, more than I enjoy plot, I think, which is, I, I think maybe one of the distinguishing traits between linked or novel and stories versus novel it feels less manipulative on the part of the writer if it's more seen and less plot I don't Mm. know maybe that's just me making excuses for myself (laughs) (laughs) is that what you're working on now I'm always that's I feel like I don't even realize it but that's always what I'm doing um with the exception of eat only when you're hungry I would say um Mm. and and having these conversations with my agent about like um how can we like make this (laughs) like can you help me with some language that how do we put a feather on this rock yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah so and I'm like what it's great (laughs) you know well I wonder like how do you approach plot do you outline ahead of time and like did you outline eat only when you're hungry versus not for the others I'm totally guessing and answering for you I don't I don't outline (laughs) Um, I really just try to follow the clues 
and I don't mean that, I don't mean that in like, I'm following where my characters are taking me. Like, I don't believe that, but I, you know, like I, I'm, I feel like I am subconsciously and sometimes consciously putting things in thing in various scenes that I want to pick up later mm-hmm. or like a through line that I want to continue. Mm-hmm. And so I just try to follow that. Um, and like, I, I, you know, I go back and read what I've written and then like try to build on that or, you know, like I'll try to like find holes and, and fill those. Um, but I, um, I think I tried to outline, I can't remember which book this was and I immediately strayed from it. Mm-hmm. And I just thought yeah. like, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go with it and see what happens. Um, but I don't think that's going to be, you know, like, I'm not saying that's my process forever. Um, you know, I think it's just like, I try to write the book as it, as it comes to me and as I'm able to write it. And then, um, later when I'm revising, I think about, you know, structure and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But, um, you know, cause I feel like I, I still feel like I'm not allowed to call myself a novelist because I still feel like I'm writing stories because <laughs> <laughs> I love stories anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, Shannon. you get to call yourself what you want to call yourself. Yeah. That's you know right. in your heart you're a story writer. You're a story writer. If you're a novella writer, are you a novellist? <laughs> a novellist. I, yeah. I don't know. Okay. Well, we'll work on that. We'll we'll workshop it. I was gonna say a novelette, but a novelette is oh. its own thing. Oh, I, right? I don't know a novelette. It's shorter than a novella. Stop. Are you serious? Well, yeah, yeah, that? it's a thing. What? I don't I can't remember the, what the word count is supposed to be. Maybe like 10,000 to 20,000 or something like that. It's just 7 pages. It's oh my god, that's, yeah. that's that should it's be my It's a trifold. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you got to get hit that. Novelette. You got to get two folds and then, you know, three pages and you're good. Novelette. <laughs> also, that's so much more fun to say. Yeah. I'm a novelist. Okay. I like I've never seen like, one published, but uh, well, there's a there's a there's a clue. <laughs> you know what? I bet it'll fit just fine in my nightstand. Yeah. So, <laughs> who cares? Box within a box. Coin <laughs> um, purse kind of exactly. story. Are you able or and or willing to talk about the journey from what happened with curbside to how Whimsy got published? Uh when was it when was Whimsy officially published? Was it last um, week? It's officially published on Tuesday. On Tuesday. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, in a couple of days. <laughs> awesome. So <laughs> So that's March 23rd because people will be hearing yeah. this later. So it's out, people. It's out. Get it. Get it. I pre-order people got their books already and longdaypress.com. Um, yes, longdaypress.com. Okay. Nailed it. So it's a great it cover. Out. Great great cover. It, it fits. is so good. Oh, thank you. I made the cover. Did you? Oh, oh man. Yeah, I, I yeah, Josh Bonsack, who runs Long Day Press, he he like described the um, his idea for the cover, and I had just started like noodling around on like with digital drawing, so I sketched something, and I was like, oh, like something like this, and he was like, yeah, that, like oh, let's awesome. use that. So whoa, yeah, that's awesome. Fun. Um, but yeah, so with um curbside uh yeah I don't really know how damning to get this sort of thing not like yeah don't feel pressured if you don't want to say anything that's totally fine no I I feel comfortable now because like as I was going through the process of like basically getting ghosted by this press that like said I won this contest and my book was coming out um I started contacting other authors which I I'm sure you both know other authors since you're in Chicago yeah 
I know some um, <laughs> I know you have interviewed one of them that I reached out to about their experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so once I started like, you know, uh, DMing and, and emailing with authors who'd published with them, all of these red flags came out and, you know, I don't think that that should be hidden necessarily. I mean, I know obviously some small presses don't do so well to no fault of the folks who are running them, um, or maybe some fault, but no malice, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I should say. But I think in this case, it was like a pretty negligent and pretty douchey, if I can say. Mm-hmm. So, that tracks. Um, yeah. And, and it was, it was not at all the editors actually. So the, the people who run Long Day Press, Josh Bonsack and Joe Dems, who are wonderful, amazing people. They both were editors for Curbside on my book. Whoa. So the, each of them did a pass through whimsy. And then like, so at first it was Josh and he did a pass and, and then he was like, okay, I gotta go. <laughs> see a curbside here's your new editor and then I worked with Joe and then he was like after his pass nice working with you I gotta leave curbside so you know it was kind of a those should have been the red flags um but you know I still I still thought it was going to be published and then I just like they didn't give me a contract wouldn't respond to my emails and um I started to read between the lines. Oh my gosh. You shouldn't have to read between the lines. I know. You know, he like the guy who runs it, he actually never told me that it's never going to be popped. <gasps> maybe, maybe he's gonna hit me up next next week and be like, hey, I'm ready to publish this. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, and actually, going to press. Yeah, it was just oh my god, right? Here's your cover. Um <laughs> But yeah, it was just, it was a pretty disappointing and embarrassing situation to be like, oh, my, my book's coming out. And then just kidding. It's not actually, Alex, I don't know if you remember this, but you very kindly reached out to me like, oh, you you should try these presses. Oh, right. I don't know if you remember that. Well, I mean, it was a long, I think it was, it was a while ago, I feel like Shannon, because wasn't this, this was like more than a year ago, right? That yeah. things were actually falling. Yeah, oh my God. It was supposed to be published in spring of 2019. Oh my God, right. But then Jeez. like, yeah. So when, after that happened, it's like, I thought I was going to go and like submit it right away, but I don't know. I just got cold feet and started of feeling course. like, ugh, you know, just disappointed and like, I'm done with this for a while. So I didn't mm-hmm. end up following through with that, but it ended up working out so well because- and I eventually reached out to Long Day Press and like, hey, you know, you guys have already put in so much work and time and energy and love into this. Do you want to publish it? And they said, yes. So it ended up being like just a very happy ending, I think, in my in my oh, yeah. way. I love so that. It's been uh, great working with them. I love that Josh and Joe were able to make it right. I mean, that's so cool. That's such a yeah. such a really great ending to that story. I just yeah, think like. I mean, Shannon, again and again, you've like picked yourself up and believed oh in God, yourself yeah. and advocated oh. for yourself. And that I really like, that's not to be underestimated. Cause I think it's inspiring. Uh, yeah. I think that's, that's, you know, that's, that's hard stuff. Oh, and I'm, thanks. Just, I'm excited for you because all these good things are happening. Definitely. And Alex, I mean, how many stories am I going to hear about you being there for someone? Get out of here. I've had it with you. <laughs> I mean, seriously, Alex is like, 
a guardian angel of the writing world. He is, he's, he's always there. Um, and I was like, who is this kind angel? <laughs> I'm telling you, it's Alex. It's always Alex. <laughs> but, uh, it is really reassuring when there's like, when you've been working with shitty men for a long time and then there's mm-hmm. like wonderful, I don't know. I feel like Josh and Joe kind of like reassure reaffirmed my definitely good guys like and you too like good guys out there do exist you're one of three alex hey that's fine (laughs) i'll take it i was gonna say though shannon one thing that you mentioned i think is just for anybody listening who's potentially submitting to small presses um or is kind of in that world right now reach out to the authors that's that that's such such a good thing and you know, it's not always obvious to people who are publishing with small presses for the really small presses for the first time that it's usually one, two, or three people running the entire press. Mm-hmm. So when you're reaching out to these authors and saying, Hey, how was your experience with such and such press? A lot of times, what you're really asking them is, Hey, is person X a lunatic? Like, <laughs> you're, you're, you're asking about individuals or one or two, you know, two or three people. And that kind of information that you can get from authors who have worked with these people is invaluable. So I would totally recommend vetting the people who are going to be taking care of your work. And That's like writers, advice. writers love talking about this stuff. Yeah. Like, honestly, yeah. from, from <laughs> totally. like the most famous down to the smallest press, like all writers love talking about this stuff and want to be honest about it. So. Yeah, totally. Well, thanks so much for coming on. That was awesome. This was wonderful, Shannon. Yeah, it was so great to talk to you. Everybody go to Long Day Press and buy Whimsy. Yes. Right now. That was so fun. That was fun to hear. Um, It's fun. I'm glad we're talking to Shannon now as opposed to a year ago. It's great. It's great that we got a little bit of the the full arc of the story that whimsy took to reach publication. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, and also awesome that Josh and Joe made that situation. Right. I didn't know that. Full, I knew that I knew a little bit of that story, but I didn't know the full thing. So that's really cool. Good on them. Yeah. I, I mean, like it works for everyone, right? Cause they got this great book. And she got this great publisher and like, that's the, that's the epitome of like when, when it feels the best, you know, like making something together, that collaboration and that support. And so, and everyone should get it. It's, it's a true joy to read and so like yearning and poignant and like funny at times. And so I loved it. Yeah, it's good. It's the only book that's you're ever going to encounter Borscht and Freak the Mighty on the same page. So that would be my <laughs> that would be my sales pitch to you guys. <laughs> that is so much better than what I said. <laughs> uh, how was your week? Pretty good week. Um, took the weekend off to do some house stuff. So that was nice. Uh, three days of work is better than five days of work mm-hmm. for all people, I feel like. Um, I didn't do a ton of reading. I'm kind of starting a new book, starting a couple things, but actually, you know what? I'm doing a lot of editing. That's why I'm not reading. Hello. I've been, uh, going through some of these edits and that's been really fun. It's been fun to kind of been, to be reengaged in, in the novel. So yeah, that's been, uh, exciting for sure. How does it feel? Cause like, 
before you had to work on these edits, I'm sure you felt yeah. like the book is so done. Like you're done. Mm. You're ready for it to be. How does it feel? Because we all have to go through this, but I just right. want to know from your point of view, like how, how it feels to be like, okay, it's actually not done. I've got to go, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, so, I mean, to be frank, I mean, I knew that I would be receiving some, some, the edit, the nature of the edits was going to be, uh, I would be have to generate something new or take out something. I, I knew that there would be like a decent amount of things that I would have to add or subtract. So I was anticipating that kind of work, but really I, I think one thing that helps me late in editing um, is when you, the conversation I had with my agent, she had such a different understanding uh, of what the novel was than I had had for so long. Mm. And not that it was like, wait, what are you talking about? But just there was clarity to how she saw it. And also mm -hmm. it helped me to understand what was really resonating with her and probably resonating with lots of other people who would potentially read it. And so going back through, I, you know, was kind of imbued with a different eye in some of these scenes and looking at certain characters in a slightly different way you know even if we're talking about you know it's like 250 something pages if we're talking about making significant changes on 30 of these pages mm -hmm. it's still a lot you know mm -hmm. even if only 30 of those pages change so um yeah I think it felt good because it was coming it was the edits were coming from a conversation where someone was clearly responding to the work so yeah I think that was enough for me you feel like you, um, I guess I'm asking this because this is how I feel. I feel like when I'm sending something to my agent, like I'm wanting, I, I know, and I understand that he's going to, he's, he's going to act as a reader, like a, like a reader mm -hmm. that, you know, we would send and hope for feedback. Um, right. And are you like taking that into account when you're talking with your agent or sending your agent something? That she is kind of serving like as as the reader at large in a way you're saying, or like you know, like we always talk about first readers, like you give oh, it to someone oh. to to read and then give you totally. feedback and edits mm -hmm. and stuff. Like, are you are you like treating her like that, or? Uh, I I mean I guess yeah I am because especially with this project, she's just been involved editorially for so long that I mean she is she is other than my friend Willie, she's the other first reader on it for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and also I think because she works on my short stuff with me as well. Like when I, when we send stuff out, she'll look at it in the same way. She'll look at a novel. I know. I mean, you know how it is. You get to know how you get to know someone editorially and have a sense of what potentially is going to work or not and sometimes you throw things in there seeing if it'll stick or like is this going to pass the test in a way whatever you know it's just it's just like any other I feel like like working relationship you, you you're using it as kind of a uh I don't know a space to see what works because it's a it's someone you trust for sure yeah yeah I definitely um and I, I guess I have never asked, asked him, asked my agent this, <laughs> mm. but I definitely throw things to him because I just want to hear his thoughts on them. And he gives, you yeah. know, he gives me his thoughts and stuff, but right. um, I'm sure he, he knows. He yeah. actually, um, I figured I could talk about this here because it was, I thought it was pretty cool. He um, reached out to me for like wording and like how I would, 
almost like how I would market the book. Right. And I feel like that's not my strength. I am very bad at that. And I, I have like a, like a, like a forced modesty or humility about it. Like, I feel like I should, you know, like, I feel like I'm like throwing a grenade over the fence and I'm like, sorry, I hope it's, a du-, you know, like, you know, like either hold it or duck. I don't know. Um, right. when I should, I should be better about, I, and I was texting you about it and you were like, yeah. well, I know how to describe my book like that. And I was like, Oh, um, okay. <laughs> well, well, but then you and I came, I mean, together we came to some stuff I think that you're excited about. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And, and yeah. so I just really, I just, what I really appreciated was that my agent asked me to like collaborate with him on that kind of stuff because, um, because I, first of all, I need to take ownership of that stuff and I need to like accept that that's a normal thing to do, <laughs> like right. instead of like ducking, like I usually do. Um, and it was also very useful. And then like talking to you about it and, and like coming up with stuff helped enormously. Um, and so it made me feel like less in the dark or less out of control. Right. You know, like it was like something that we're doing, like me and my agent are doing together, you know, right. and that was cool. Yeah. I mean, I think it's Thanks, funny. Jim. To- Thanks, Jim. <laughs> I think it's, uh, I think it's funny how like with anything, whether it be a friendship or like a working relationship, it's just how powerful uh, questions are just like questions yes. showing so much care, you know, whether it be like, you can just tell when you meet someone and they're not returning the questions that you're asking them. It's so indicative of them as a person. And I feel like that goes throughout any of these kind of interactions and then ratchet it up times a thousand when you're yeah. talking about a novel you've been working on for years. It's like you want someone to engage with it because why else would you send it to them? Whoever this person may be, whether it be an agent or a potential editor, or whoever, like you want that engagement. It's, it's yeah. So definitely. Yeah. And part of the reason why I feel bad sometimes is that I don't let myself, I don't allow myself to engage with it like that, like the business side or the marketing side, or even just the naming, you know? Right. Um, I treat it all like, well, I'm not, I don't, you know, like I'm just the writer. Why would I know? You know? And that's mm-hmm. so silly. Um, so I just, I, I thought that was cool. Who knows? Yeah. Who, I knows? Mean, who knows? <laughs> and yeah. he, and you know, like the kinds of questions he's so good about, like, he'll ask me a question and then I think I'm answering it and then he rephrases it and I really see what he was asking. Right. <laughs> he's so good about being like, all right, well, let me try this angle. <laughs> Okay, that door doesn't work. Uh, I'm going to go over here. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh. Anyway, so that's been cool. Definitely. How was, uh, how was your week in general? It was good. I wrote as, you know, I did my, I met my word count goal. Nice. Um, and it feels like I'm nearing the end of the draft. Cool. Um, and things are starting to like, like, slot into place um but i can also see like looming on the horizon like a giant cavernous hole (laughs) that i need i'm gonna have to work on Um, do you have the structure is it is it set up in the structure right now the way you you think it's roughly gonna be i right now it's um like the chapters are from various points of view sorry jim um (laughs) novel and it, stories and it's very much like a before and after i didn't intend that um but it's mm-hmm. like you know it's like 
before and everything leading up to it. And then like, you don't see the murder, but you see like the aftermath of the murder. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it's like years in the future. Um, It's like right after it happens and then like years in the future. So I'm not sure. Um, I also don't want it to feel cheap if you don't get to see, because right now I haven't written the scene where she, she and her son like decide to do this Mm -hmm. to her friend. I've like alluded to it, but there's, I, I'm like, for some reason thinking that shouldn't be as explicit, but, but reading it back, it might feel cheap. So I don't know. We'll see, but you know, One it's like, the, it's a, it's a big nasty thing that I don't want. I don't yeah. want it to be too heavy handed, you know? No, totally. I think that can like really ruin narratives about mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Like Tom McAllister, for instance, in his book, how to be safe he gets the violence out of the way in the prologue. Oh yeah. Then, I remember you saying that. And then the entire novel is the aftermath with it, where you're, you're with a character who's, you know, one or two degrees removed. And so the novel is not a build to the violence. I always think this is a movie, but I always think the worst example of this to stay within like a school shooting thing, like how to be safe was that Gus Van Zandt movie elephant. Did you ever I've see never that? I've never seen it. No. So it's like, the whole movie is you're with the like the Klebold and Harris type characters mm-hmm. leading up until the violence. Like the whole movie is building to it. If I remember correctly, I saw it when I was like 17. But still, like in my memory, it's like you the whole time, you know, you're just like they're going through their like mundane, quotidian, normal teenage day. And, you know, oh, my God, they're so normal or whatever the fuck you're supposed to think as if that's profound. And then you're building to the violence. And it's like, well, you're really not doing work there. Like, that's just I don't know. So I feel like the violence, however you end up dealing with it. I don't know. I think as long as you have an honest approach to it, it could work however you set it. But Mm -hmm. to me, Mm -hmm. there's such a dishonest way to do it where like i always think of that elephant movie i just i remember being offended by it almost just like it's like oh my god like give me a break and i think some of it could be like something that i'm afraid to write you know like something Mm -hmm. that i'm afraid to face like yeah um and i also like i'm i can like my stuff can get really dark and i don't it's dark enough without you know so i don't Mm -hmm. know it's just we'll see like i kept thinking about how Catherine nichols said she wrote every scene from every possible character's perspective and then decided and um (laughs) it feels like like i should do that or maybe i already am doing that i don't know when i listened back to that and heard her say that again i was just like jesus Catherine!" (laughs) i've been thinking about it so much and i'm so mad that i didn't ask her how she knew she was done you know like next time yeah Catherine, come back on oh my god Anyway, um, oh, Ben's corner tonight. Oh, yes. He wanted me to make sure there was Ben's corner. He's oh, right God, behind yes. me playing Animal Crossing. I love Ben's corner. He's grinning. He He's reading this book right now and he reads or he tells me little bits of it every now and then or he reads me some some bits from it. And it, it like I, I can't wait to read it myself. It's this. What's it called? Uh, Last, couple Last Couple Standing by Matthew Norman. Don't know it. <laughs> Ben's been calling him Matty Norms. <laughs> And it's so good. It's, it's last couple standing. It's about the last married couple in their group of friends. Everyone else has gotten divorced. It is Bert, Ty, Adam. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And 
but it's so like, and they also have kids. So like, I don't know. There's just so many relatable moments that are quite hilarious. And oh, um, like, I don't know. So we just wanted to call that book out. And Ben was getting all in, you know, in his feelings today about how like nobody talked about that book or he couldn't remember, you know, like wasn't on the notable list and it wasn't yeah. like the, the book du jour. And he's like, something's broken in the publishing industry. If a book <laughs> like this can go unnoticed. And I was like, preach my friend, you know, imagine like, him just screaming that at the animal crossing screen, just like <laughs> something is broken. Yeah. Oh. Um, but Matt, Matthew Norman, if you're listening, my husband loves your book and I can't wait to read it. Loves you. When did it, when did it get published? When did it come out? Last year, and he has another oh, wow. book coming out in June. This Man, dude is on top of it. I, I haven't even—I don't know this writer. I just followed him on Twitter, so Did I could follow stay. you back. I don't think so, Matty Ooh, Norms. Sorry, Matt. What are you doing? Ben just called it the Normasans. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I finished reading Lacey Crawford's Notes on a Silencing, and it was incredible. Oh, yeah. And she will be nice. on a future episode and I cannot wait to talk to her. She's that'll be amazing. great. I gotta read that one. Cool. Yeah. I I, I was planning on I'm, I've been reading more poetry. I've been asking friends for uh recommendations because I've been kind of loving reading more poetry. And I was like, ah, maybe I'll get some poems, but uh I was moving a desk today, so there was no poem found. I mean, in a in a way that's its own poem. There you go. You're welcome. <laughs> All right, well, talk to you next time. Bye, bud. See ya. Bye. I'm a Writer Butt is recorded by Alex Higley and me, Lindsay Hunter, in our respective basements. Because there's a pandemic out there, please wear a mask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop. Deluge. <laughs>